Good morning. Um, good to see you here. Those that are here for the first time, welcome. And those that you've been here, good to have you back. Um, those who are online, welcome as well. So, Scott Everett Harris, I'm one of the elders here, and I just, you know, just really thinking a lot about what's happened this last year and how God is so faithful. You know, I mean, think about what he's done. A lot to be thankful for. Think about what he's done in this world, yet he's not moved. You know, he's not shaken. And um, that is awesome to think about that our God loves us so much and he's there for us. We should just rest in him. So I think we have a reading. If you would like, we're going to read scripture today. And... Um, Stand with me and we'll move forward. So, Galatians 5, 7 through 10. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So as a, you can have a seat, and as the ushers come forward, um, I'm just going to pray for the offering. And, um, you know, we have a lot of missionaries that we are supporting, so we want to make sure that we emphasize um, so praying for them, you know, that they would have the support that they need, that they would be um, ambassadors of the word, that they would be reaching those people in the communities that they are serving in. Um, and we also want to just remember what God's doing here as well. So, Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Uh, may we turn around and give it back to you wholeheartedly. If it's, if it's financial, um, if it's our time, our energy, um, our heart for just praying for the lost. Father, may uh, your kingdom be um, moved forward in all these areas. We pray for those missionaries that are out there doing their work. Give them safety provision, and may it be both for you. And I pray this in your son, Lord Jesus. Amen. So a lot of announcements out there. Um, you have them in your, um, your bulletin. You have them on the screens out back. You got them on the website. Make sure you touch base and get, uh, get in tune with what's happening. A couple of highlights that I will say is, first and foremost, you know, we have um, brought forth a candidate, and it was unanimous by the elder board that we would bring Stephen and Jenny Boyer um, to be our candidates. So you should have an insert like this. It's got a lot of information on there. Um, please do check it out. There's a couple links in there for you to go to. You can see his teaching. Um, and then we will have a candidate weekend coming up January 26th, 7th, and 28th. It'll be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It'll be an opportunity for you to, to touch base with him and his family as well. Uh, he would be teaching that Sunday, and um, after we have our normal morning service, we'll go out and have a little fellowship at 11 o'clock. We're going to enter back into the worship center here, and we'll have a Q&A opportunity, and then at 11.30, we'll be taking a vote. So um, make sure that hopefully you can put that on your calendars and be here for that. In line of the vote, um, in the welcome table in the back, there's a membership list. Make sure you check that. See if your name's on it because we will be giving you a ballot when you walk through the doors if your name is on there as a member because members will be voting on our next pastor for our Constitution. So we would hope that the, you can check that out. If there's a discrepancy, surely call the office or one of the others, our pastor, and we'll work through that. Um, 
let's see, all classes that day on that that Sunday, the 28th, just so you can put this in your in your tablet, will be canceled. We want to have an opportunity for all members, attendees, teachers that are downstairs to have an opportunity to see this candidate. And if they're down there, we don't they won't have that. So that day, there won't be anything happening downstairs. And we're just gonna and even to come for more, that won't be happening because at eleven we're gonna have our Q and A time. All right. Um, there will be a membership class January fourteenth through the twenty first if you aren't one, and that'll be in the lab, uh, the library at eleven o'clock, and we will move you into that part. Um, let's see. Well, one other thing, January eighth, six p.m. There will be a, a meeting for those that are interested in uh, hospitality. If you're on that team. Please come to that. We'll just have a refresher, a reboot as we move forward. And if you have a heart for and a personality, say, welcoming, I want to just serve people, um, come and see what that's about, and we'll get you moving in that direction as well. I think that is it. Uh, so kids, where's the littles? We're going to dismiss you for your church time downstairs. So let's pray for them. Father, we just thank you for the littles. We thank you for... The children, your word says, let the little children come. Let them hear. So we pray for the teaching that's happening downstairs, that they would um, just have ears to hear, and that their hearts would be open to what you're going to do through your word in their lives. Pray for that time. We ask this in your son, Lord Jesus' name. Amen. I'll do that. Uh, it's it's really neat when um, the first day of the year is tomorrow, and so uh, many times people will do Bible reading plans, and uh, there are plenty of them that are out there, but I, I found a new one this year, um, and I made up a bunch of copies of these, so they're on that little table in the back of the room, and they're also on the Welcome Center, so if you want a Bible reading plan to start off tomorrow morning, with and read through the Bible in a year, make sure to pick up one of these that's there. <clears throat> it's good to have you here. You are the faithful frozen, right? Yes, yes. Oh, I tell you, I had about that much on my van this morning to, to scrape off of there, but we made her. Um, we are back in the book of Galatians We've taken a couple weeks of break, but we're back in the book of Galatians, and I'm hoping that I'm able to complete Galatians by the end of January, um, and so we'll have completed another book together. But because we've been away for a couple weeks, I want to go through a little bit of review because we're going into a new section into the book. So if you got one of these little flyers, you know, that's what's going to, there's not going to be anything up on the screen. You're, I'm just, I'll, I'll walk you through this little tiny flyer here that we have. But the review is in chapters 1 and 2 in Galatians, it, the focus is on the man, the man, Paul. And Paul has to defend himself. What's happened is that he has given the gospel to the Galatians, to the Gentiles, and, 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 and he said it's in Christ alone. But there's others who have come behind him and said, wait a minute. No, there's a little bit more than that. You also have to do this, this, and this to be saved. And Paul is vehemently saying, no, it is Christ 
alone. And then they started to question, who is this Paul? Who is this guy? And so he defends himself, and he says, I'm only doing this according to the will of our God. The only reason I am preaching what I am preaching, teaching what I am teaching, is because of the will of God. This salvation that I am teaching is only because of the will of God. So, back in chapter 1, verse 4, when he talks about the gospel, he says, who gave himself, meaning Jesus, for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And then he says, according to the will of our God and Father. So first off, the reason I'm doing this is not because of myself. It's because of the will of the Father. It's the will of the Father. Then the second thing is, he says, it's apostle approved. This gospel that I have preached to you in Christ alone is apostle approved. I went back to Jerusalem. I shared with the apostles what I was teaching to the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And what was their response? If we go to chapter 2, verse 9, he says, James, Peter, and John, who reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me and agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. So not only was um, he going by the will of the Father, but what he was saying he's sharing with them is apostle approved. And then the third one that he gives us is that it was field tested. Field tested. Um, how much do you truly believe this, Paul? How much do you truly believe that it is by Christ alone? So he gets an opportunity. And we have the scene where Peter comes and visits Paul to see what is happening. Paul is seeing Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. He comes to see what's happening. And when he comes and sees this true faith, what does Peter do? Peter joins right in with them. He joins right in with the Gentile Christians. We're in Christ alone, together. And they are having a great time of fellowship with one another. But then, all of a sudden, there are some Jewish Christians that come from, from Jerusalem. And when Peter sees them, instead of inviting them over, saying, hey, come on over. We're, this is a wonderful thing. He doesn't. He separates himself from these Christians who were Gentiles. And he goes over with the other group. And in that movement, <clears throat> what is he saying? He's saying, well, there's, apparently there's a difference between these two groups. And now I'm in the right group. Well, what does Paul do in that situation? Back in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, when I saw, this is Paul, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? <clears throat> so it was field tested. When, when Paul saw the, the, what was wrong, making a division, saying that there was more than just Christ alone. No, you needed to also be a Jew. Paul field tested it and said, he stood up to Peter and said, no, no. 
So there's the first section, the man, Paul. The second section is the message, the gospel, the gospel. And in this section, in chapters 3 and 4, he gives six arguments, or better yet, six assurances. Six assurances that your salvation is only in Christ alone. Every time I say assurance, I think of blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Yeah, I think of that song. And when he gets to the last one, the sixth one, it's a great illustration that Paul draws out between Hagar and Sarah, between Ishmael and Isaac. He's saying Hagar represents the old covenant. Sarah represents the new covenant. And he says we are not children of the slave woman. We are not slave, we're not of the old covenant. We are not under the law. That's what goes on the line. We are not under the law. We're not under the curse of the law. And he points to the Gentile Christian and he says, no, but we're of the free woman. We're of Sarah. We're of the one where the promise has come. And that promise is our salvation. And so he gives that. Now he's going to switch into a new section. Sections 5 and 6, chapters 5 and 6. And that's the manner. And in that line you could put life. There's a book out, How Then Shall We Live? How then shall we live if we are saved by Christ alone? What does that life look like? And Paul is going to get pretty direct here. So we're in chapter 5 now, verse 2. Take it verse by verse here. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He gets right in their face. Remember this line? I put it on your sheet. Read my lips, no new. Oh, you don't remember that? No new taxes. Yeah. Okay, brownie points. Who said it? Yeah, George W. Yeah. (laughs) Herbert Bush. There, you got the right one. Yeah, yeah. The only reason I bring that up is because he was trying to get their attention. Read my lips. Well, that's what Paul's doing here when he says, mark my words. Other versions say, behold. Another way of saying it was Paul Paul would be saying, eyes up here. Let me see your eyes because I got something to say and I want you to hear exactly what I'm going to say. Okay, so that's kind of the idea of what Paul's doing here when he says, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will have no value to you at all. If you choose the law, If you choose the law and think that you're going to be justified under the law, then Christ has no value of you at all. I mean, just rip out the New Testament. You don't need that anymore. You know? You don't... All those songs you sing about Christ, eh, toss them out. You don't need those anymore. He is of no value to you at all if you choose the law. Then he goes to verse 3 again. On your sheets, I put there, play it again, Sam, because he's going to say it again. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So if you choose to think justification on your own merit in any way, such way or form, then you are under the consequences of that vote, choice. You're under the consequences of all the laws that have been given. And you have to keep everyone, single one of them, perfectly. 
if you are going to be justified under that. Now, he's already told them that the law cannot justify you. And there's no one perfect. There's only one. And that's why he came. Then verse 4, this is the last part of this section here. You who are trying to be justified by the law are being alienated from Christ. And you've fallen away from Christ. Now, some might say, well, is he saying that they, they're not saved anymore? I don't think he's saying that here. Because he continues to tell the Gentile Christians, he calls them brothers. He's just trying to wake them up. He just wants them to wake up and see what they're doing. If you are not following Christ alone and thinking that you can get your righteousness through some other way, he says, I want you to wake up. No, that's not the right way. I think, I think many times their pastors try to wake up the con- congregations. I mean, sometimes pastors need to wake up congregations to say, wait a minute here. Are we following the path of faith? Or the path of fear? Which one are we following? Are we people of fear? Or are we people of faith? Sometimes we have to wake up the congregation about that. Sometimes we have to wake up the congregation when, when we follow the path of the world's way of resolving things. And we go the way of revenge, like the world does. Instead of going the way of reconciliation. And actually the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us. Sometimes we need to be woken up about that. And sometimes we need to be woken up as a church about being a little too selfish when God calls us to be selfless. So sometimes that's what Paul's doing here. He's waking up this congregation. He's saying, wake up here. You're not walking in step with Christ. You're not walking in step with him. you're, You're not going the way of grace right now. So after you do that, I put down there a couple a couple other passages that you can go to. Um when when we talk about salvation, um there are times in the scriptures where um there's a distinction that people know of salvation and maybe even um experience you know, some of the effects of being around people who are saved, but they are not saved. So, you know, a good one there is uh, Luke chapter 8. That's the parable of the soils. And, and when Jesus, dis, uh, he describes it out, he, he illustrates it out for his disciples in verses uh, 13 and 14. Those that are on the rock are the ones who receive the word. They heard it with joy when they heard it, but they had no root. They believed for a while, but in time of testing, they fell away. They weren't saved. They weren't saved. And then he goes to the next one, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but they go on their own way and they are choked out by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and do not mature. They weren't saved. That verse that, Aaron gave us this morning, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, that's a lot to believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. And meaning that you believe it, that you would die for it. I think there's a lot of people that don't believe. Not like what the Bible says to believe. 
another one <clears throat> that I put down there. I'll, I'll read this one too. First uh, John 2, 19. John says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Yeah, there are situations where people um, walk away from the body of Christ, but they were never part of the body of Christ. Boy, that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? It really is. But, but again, in this passage of Scripture, I don't think that's what Paul is saying because he continually is saying to the Gentile Christians, brothers, and he'll do it right now. Verse 5, but, that's a transition word, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. On your seats there, by faith, we don't try. They're trying to be saved another way. We don't try, but we eagerly await. True faith are people who are eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord. Those are those of true faith. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. doesn't have any value. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free. Doesn't matter. That does not matter. What does matter? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That you have faith. And that faith has an expression. <clears throat> that faith has a response. And it is love. There's an action that comes from people who are truly saved. And that action is love. And that's going to be one of our guardrails. I'm going to give you another one here. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Notice there that the race isn't complete. You were running a good race. The race isn't complete. And then he says, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? How many of you ran track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you had your lane, right? And some of the races, you have to stay in your lane. Yeah, you can't. Some of the shorter races, especially, you cannot get out of your lane. You need to stay in your lane. What happens if you get out of your lane? Yeah, disqualified kind of thing. What if somebody busts into your lane? Yeah. I mean, so, so there's... There's this lane, this race, and you've got to stay in your lane. And what Paul is saying here, who has busted into your lane? Who's pushed you out of your lane? There's a lane that you're running in. And that lane is that salvation is through Christ alone. That's the lane that you're running in. And on one side of that lane, we see that it's expressed by a love. A love for God and a love for others. Okay? Now, this has been a question he has had all through the book. If I go back to chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul starts it out going like, what's going on? What's going on? Chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Clearly portrayed as crucified. Who's bewitched you? Who's pushed you out of the lane? Who's done that? 
Then in chapter 4, verse 17. 4, verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. Wait a minute. Is it about them? No. If you're running in the Christ lane, it's all about who? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So he's, he's perplexed about this. Now, if we go back to our passage of Scripture, verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. That's, he's just flat out saying that's not from God. If someone is trying to say there is some other way other than Christ alone, that is not from God. That is not from God. Um, and he uses that phrase, the one who has called you. That was back in the verse I just read. Chapter 1, verse 6. Astonished that you're so quickly deserting from the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And then if you go to verse 15, when he talks about his own salvation. But when God, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace called me by His grace. We need to make sure that we're following after the one who has called us. Now back to the passage, he gives us a little phrase. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And it's a, like an idiom that we have. We have all kinds of idioms that we say. Well, this was one of their idioms that they would say. And you understand it. You bakers understand it, right? You have this dough, and you want the dough to rise. So what do you do? Put in a little yeast. Not a whole bunch, just a little bit. Because all you need is a little bit. And once you put that yeast in there, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. It's going to affect the whole loaf. Now, but when you say this in Bible terms, yeast equals, many times in the Scriptures, sin. It equals sin. So if you read it that way, a little sin works through the whole batch of you. A little sin works through the whole batch of you. A little bit is all it takes. And that's all that matters. Okay, now I want to give you a couple passages here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> where he's going to use this phrase again. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, when it says, your boasting is not good. And I'll stop right there. Wait a minute. How did that get in here? How did that get in here? Your boast, how did boasting get in the family of God? How did pride get into the family of God? How, how did that get in here? Who let that in? What, are we pat yourself on the back kind of people? What, who let that in here? See what I mean? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch without yeast as you really are. Get rid of that sin. That's what he's saying. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ died for that sin. He died on the cross for those sins. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness. And again, he's talking to a congregation. And so what's he speaking to them about? That there's some malice and there's some wickedness going on in the congregation. 
but with the bread without yeast, of bread of sincerity and truth. He says, when I look at a congregation, that's what I should see. Sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. The other passage is Matthew 16, and that's when Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees that are there. Now, back to your passage. We're in verse 10. This is my favorite verse so far of the whole book. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever that may be. No other view. And see, what is that no other view? That salvation is only by Christ alone. That the church will take no other view than the only way that you are saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That you would take no other view, no other view than that. Um, he's saying this <clears throat> because other things have been injected in. Other things have come, crept into the church. Other things have come in and they're doubting, is it by Christ alone? No, I think that these people are saying that we have to do this and this and this and this and kind of thing. And he's going, no, that you would have no other view than it is by Christ alone. Then he goes, verse 11, brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has, has been abolished. This is one of those I put down in your sheet. Uh, they said that you said. They said that you said. So these people that are attacking Paul are saying, well, Paul said to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, well, wait a minute. If I was saying that, how come I'm still getting persecuted? How come I'm still getting thrown in jail? How come I'm still getting beaten? How, if I was actually saying that, and then he throws that last part on there, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If I was preaching that, there's no need for a cross. Take it off your building. Don't, don't wear those things anymore. There's no need for it. Just like when he said before, Christ has no value to you. Ward it off. He, why, why are you even here? That's what he would be saying. Why would you even be here? Verse 12. <clears throat> um, so the cross has no value. That's, that's what's on the line there. Verse 12. A little bit of sarcasm from Paul here. As for those agitators, these ones that are trying to make you out of the lane, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <clears throat> you know, little as much more would be better. So it's kind of graphic. He's talking about circumcision. Circumcision is a little thing, right? He says, I wish they'd lop the whole thing off. A little bit of sarcasm there. To say, okay, it'd be better if they couldn't procreate if they're preaching this type of message. Here's where you can see that sometimes a preacher will get a little tense. Sometimes a preacher will say things that put you on the edge of the seat a little bit. That's what Paul's doing here. Verse 13. We'll finish out 13 through 15. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Notice he says brothers there. See, before, he's not talking about them not losing their salvation. No, he's calling them brothers. He says, you, my brothers, talking to the Gentile Christians who were called to be free, 
But do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Here's the other rail. As we're running this race in Christ alone, on one side of the, tra- on one side of the boundary is our love for God and love for others. And that is expressed that we serve one another. We serve one another out of that love. That's the lane that we are in as a church. That's the lane that we are supposed to stay in as a church. There's always the fear, and he will bring this up over and over again, that because I'm saved, because he saved me from my sins, he's past, present, future, and everything else, then I'll just do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. You know, because I'm saved from it all, kind of thing. And Paul will say, if that's your idea, if that's your motivation, then you are not saved. Your heart has not been changed. Because if your heart has been changed, you will walk in the steps of the one, the sinless one. You will pattern your life after his life. And his life is not described like what I just described. So he, he, he'll, he'll hammer this many times to say, no, that's not why you were saved. You were saved to love and to serve. As you proclaim what? Christ alone. Christ alone. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up. So he simplifies the whole law. He's summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus uh, 19.18. So the law is simplified. And, and that genuine faith is always others-focused. If someone has genuine faith in Jesus Christ, their lives are always others-focused. They're focused on others. But then he gives us that last verse, verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. False faith is always self-focused. Always self-focused. So, <clears throat> so here's a good way of looking at this. He's giving you two options here. He does this over and over again. He'll do it next week in the next passage and everything. Are, would you characterize your life as being one who is loving others? Or has it been biting others? You look over the past month, do you see more biting others or loving others? What do you see? It's a good time of the year to really evaluate that, saying going into a new year, Lord, I've found that I have been biting others more than I've been loving others. What do I do if I find myself biting others more than loving others? I need to confess. I need to go before the Father. I need to kneel back down. I need to realize that, wait a minute, I've gotten out of the lane. I'm not walking with the way Christ wants me to live. And I need to tenderize my heart to love. To even love your who? Your enemies. Your enemies. And, and I'll say one more thing there is that The people that we are around and what we listen to, we pick up on that. So, if you're around people who bite others, well, occasionally, a lot, they bite others, 
guess what you'll start doing? Same thing. If you're around or listening to things where the whole focus is to tear the other person down, guess what you're going to do? Eventually, you're going to do the same thing. But if you're around people who love other people, who truly love other people, guess what you're going to do? You're going to pick up and start loving people that God brings around you. Kind of thing. So I want to finish with this on your sheet. There's little left here. Because what's happening is Paul is speaking to the Gentile Christians in Galatia and he's saying, you've gotten out of the lane of salvation by Christ alone. There have been people who have pushed you out of that lane and made you think that you, in that context, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. Or you need to follow all the Jewish customs if you're going to be saved. You basically have to be a Jew to be able to be a Christian. And that's the context that they've pushed you out of that lane and now you're basing your salvation on what you do rather than what Christ has done. Okay? So he's trying to get them back into the lane. Back into the lane. So passages of Scripture are for today also. Is the church of God getting pushed out of its lane? Today, is, does the church of God get pushed out of its lane that salvation is by Christ alone and that we are here to love and to serve? Do we get pushed out of that? And if you ask me as a pastor, um, yes. Let me give you a couple of examples. There's one side of our culture that tries to pull the church and their, their whole thing is to regulate the right. And lots of times they're asking the church to become kind of militant. And they're asking the church to, to, if we just get the right people in the right positions with the right rules, then everything will be right. And they try to pull the church into that lane. But the solution, you have to look at the solution. What's their solution? Their solution is that if I can get the right people in the right places in the right positions, then everything will be right. Is that the solution of the church? No. The solution of the church is always tell them about Jesus, the one who can change their hearts, the one that can change their hearts for eternity. Lots of times when you get pulled in that direction, there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth I put down there. But little speak of grace. And when I speak of grace, I'm talking about that God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's grace. The grace given by God. Lots of times that grace language is missing in that. Now, there's another side of our culture that tries to pull the church into to regulate uh, equity. Equity. You know, everybody, everybody, a trophy for everybody. Everybody's included. <clears throat> we should pull everybody in. Just everybody in. Because the whole goal, the solution, their solution is, can't we all just get along? And the more the merrier. That's their solution. If we could do that, then we would, everything would be okay. Is that the solution we find in the Bible? No. The solution we find in the Bible is that Jesus is the only answer. Is the only answer. So on that side, 
There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of grace. But I would say that's not grace speaking of Jesus. That's a man-made grace. That's a man-made grace of just um, kind of getting along. Not a grace that transforms your whole life. And little speaking of truth. Because to do that, to do what they want to do, you have to step away from a lot of the things that you find in here. And we see whole denominations doing that right now. So, <clears throat> now, I should say one more thing. <clears throat> Christians will be on all over this, which they should be. There should be individual Christians who are here saying, we want to make sure that there's right laws and right people in places and and, and we want to do work on things that, that help the betterment of them all. And there, there should be Christians who are salt and light in, in this arena saying, yes, we need to put some energy into this. There will be also individual Christians on this side over here that see <clears throat> uh, injustices and things that should be uh, set right and, and things along that line. And boy, we do need those of salt and light that are in those scenarios. Individual Christians will be all over this. And should be all over this. But what I'm talking about this morning is the church. The gathered body of Christ. We can't get pulled into one or the other. Because that's not our solution. Our solution is Christ alone. If we get pulled off of that, He, gets, he has no value. The cross means nothing. There's nothing there. Um, I used these verses last Sunday, John chapter 1, verses uh, 14. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, that would be Jesus, who came from the Father and then, listen, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then if you go down to verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, here it is again, came through who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So when we speak of truth and grace, we mean Jesus. That's what we mean as a body of believers. When we say grace and truth, we, we mean Jesus. Our focus is on Him. The grace is that He, God gave His Son. The truth is that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And then I, I, I just take you back to that verse 10. Verse 10. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. I'm confident that you will take no other view that Jesus is our salvation. And in the, in, the, in the year that we're going into, the year that we're going into, there's going to be a lot of talk all over the place. And which there should be. Um, that's how you make decisions. Kind of thing. But when it comes to the body of Christ, may we never stop speaking of Christ's salvation as the solution to each person's life that their heart might be transformed so they, they might follow after the sinless one too. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for putting up with my voice. <coughs> Excuse me.
So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, uh, a challenging passage of Scripture for sure. Thank you that um, Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He, he, he just says it straight up. He wants them to get their attention. That uh, we don't want to get off track. We don't want to get pulled to the left or the right. We want to make sure that the church's message is always Christ alone. That in the midst of a lot of things happening in the world, that we would not, that we would abandon, that we need to come to the foot of the cross. That people need to come to the foot of the cross. That they need to see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And there is only one Savior, and His name is Jesus. And that that message would even be stronger throughout the ages of the church. Lord, please put a burden on our heart. Please put a burden on our heart to share you with others. I'm so thankful, Lord, for that song that said, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That be our cry this year. We ask this in your precious and holy name.